Country Hour on ABC Radio Victoria. The beautiful sounds of workers here in Australia under the Pacific Worker Scheme helping sandbagging efforts in northwest Victoria. It's valuable work and you're going to hear about it today on the program. Also today, the leader of China and Australia have been meeting. So if or when will the exports of key agricultural produce resume, like wine and barley? And hey, you can give me your thoughts on that. Send a text 0467 842 722. And potatoes washed away as they're trying to be planted. Not only is the wild weather affecting crops in the ground now, but the planting of key agricultural crops as well. well. We'll talk through all of that and more, but here's a little bit more of the Pacific Island workers in Australia helping Sandbank. Thirteen hundred nine double seven triple two. If you want to call us, send a text zero four six seven eight four two seven double two. Right now, though, let's head to rural news with Kelly Hollingworth. Good afternoon, Kelly. Good afternoon, was flooding in the New South Wales towns of Forbes and Yugara has seen homes and infrastructure wiped out as the water in the area reached new heights on floods just weeks prior. Fast rising water caught out many farmers in the region too, despite many thinking they were prepared. Brendan Mansbridge is a stock and station agent and farmer between Yugara and Goolagong and paints a disturbing picture. Just sheep are sick, sick of walking in water um, all the time. Everything's just sodden and, um, yeah, certainly we sort of, we, we've been able to prepare and, and shift stock here to, to higher ground. But um, closer to Yugara, where the Mandadjuri Creek has come through there uh, yesterday, there's, I'm, I'm hearing some fairly significant stock losses um, from people along the creek who just had no no high country to, to shift um, stock to. Hearing one friend of mine I, I managed to speak to last night who potentially thinks he's lost about 700 ewes and had no nowhere to shift them to. Hearing other people with who've had cattle along, you know, um, in paddocks that would not normally be affected along the creek, that, that they haven't been... A lot of people have been evacuated so they haven't been able to get back to see exactly what um, damage has been done. A bat-borne virus that affects pigs and humans can be found as close to the Australian mainland as Papua New Guinea and East Timor. The virus can be spread to humans by infected pigs, bats or food and its mortality rate is from 40 to 75 per cent. In 1999 it killed 100 people in Malaysia and over a million pigs had to be culled. Andrew Breed, a veterinary epidemiologist at the Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry, says an outbreak in Australia is unlikely thanks to distance and bat distributions. But habitat destruction in Asia could change those distributions. We know that Nipah virus has been present in bat populations for a really long time, probably thousands of years, and we don't have any evidence 
of that virus being present in Australia. So you could have a, a perspective of, well, if it's not here now, why would that ever change? But we do know and we can see changes in a whole range of wildlife populations um, in terms of uh, population size, but also movement patterns and including fruit bats in particular. And that certainly creates opportunities for, for changes uh, in the, the way the diseases behave. A resurgence in elective surgery and a softening of restrictions around opioid prescriptions in the US could help improve demand for pain relief produced in Tasmania. At least that's what the new chief executive of Poppy Growers Tasmania, Howard Nickel, is hoping for. The former plant industry analyst says he's optimistic about the industry's future. In the United States, where we've had seen a significant drop-off in demand because of the um, response to over-prescribing, doctors are starting to get a bit more confidence and starting to prescribe more pain medication. Now that that um, pendulum has swung right back, it's now starting to find some middle ground. So demand will continue to increase. South Australia is now home to the largest potato packing facility of its kind in the Southern Hemisphere. The $45 million packing shed and warehouse officially opened in the Mallee region of the state by Australia's biggest potato supplier, the Pie Group. Deputy General Manager Renee Pye says the 15,000 square metre warehouse has doubled its production capacity from 22 tonnes an hour to 45 tonnes an hour. Um, we wash and pack about 300 tonne of potato a day across six days a week so it goes through a washing process like a rinse and a polish there's lots of water and water going through the process all at the same time and then they get sized at the end of the line and they go through a grading machine which has a series of cameras that are taking pictures of every spud as it goes through they're taking about 30 pictures per potato and then that's sort of programmed onto a line to say pack a two kilo generic bag or a one kilo baby small bag and then that goes through the process being packed, put into crates and then onto the palletizer. And Tasmania's feral deer population has been growing by more than 10% per year. Now a UTAS researcher has come up with a quirky way of controlling them and the answer could be as easy as ABC, as Alison Costello reports. It's evening on a Tasmanian farm. These deer thought they were alone until... In Melbourne, up to his elbows in buttery, slippery, oozing paint. Lucy Turnbull's honours project was to explore the effect human voices have on fallow deer. Deer numbers were significantly reduced by the sounds of humans. By 50%, according to her research. She's hoping, in the face of an exploding deer problem in Tasmania, it will help landowners protect places of value, whether they're farms or forests. We thought that potentially it could be used as a management technique to basically as a sound barrier to keep deer out of certain areas like the Wilderness World Heritage Area. And for today, that's Rural News. Well, look, I would have thought getting rid of the deer is probably a better option, but hey, using ABC Radio for a few more deer listeners could be a good option too. Thanks very much for that. Kelly Hollingworth there with Rural News. The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. We're going to have a look at this meeting between Anthony Albanese and China's President Xi Jinping on the program shortly with the National Farmers Federation. Find out really what it means for you if you're producing barley or wine or hay for export. Although it's the worst kind of hay season we've probably seen in a long time. We'll talk about a lot of those issues today shortly on the program. I'd love to know 
what you're hoping for. Do you do you want a resumption of the China trade? What would it mean to agriculture in this country? You can send us a text zero four six seven eight four two seven double two. Right now, though, let's continue to talk about the weather. Not only the floods. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Let's talk about heavy rainfall, which across Western Victoria wreaked havoc on potato farms with paddocks too wet to get machinery in the field. Farmer Greg Carlson says he actually managed to get some spuds in the ground on his Clarks Hill property north of Ballarat during breaks of dry weather. But by Monday, rain had caused, well, a lot of them to simply wash away. Mr Carlson says a shortage of the vegetable is likely to be felt now by customers. We've got a three or four metre drain cut right through the potatoes we sowed on Saturday, so all washed into the dam. So. A lot of farmers have struggled to even get machinery on, so why did you decide to start planting earlier than other farmers in the district? Oh, we just had to make a start and we could just see that little window of opportunity, so we went, but it was too wet probably to sow anyhow, but yeah, we had to go, so... Did you get a bit of confidence last week when the weather actually looked nice? We did. We all sort of did, but, yeah, I just uh, thought we were going to get a fine week and only ended up with two or three days. So um, just storms at night every night. So. Well, you can hear now that it's raining at the moment. Do you yeah. think that the forecasted weather is going to make that paddock worse? It depends what comes now, I suppose. Like, it probably can't make it much worse than it is, but it would be nice to see it dry out, you know, so... So in an average year, would you be planting mid-November? We've been starting end of October the last few years and try to be finished in December, you know, so not just starting now. So. Usually in a normal season, the ground's starting to warm up now and it's probably, this is the time of the year we should be sowing flat out. This is prime time right now, but it's not going to be when we're going to get sown, you know, in the mid might be mid-December before we strike a blow. Do you think there's going to be a potato shortage, whether it's hot chips or just in the supermarkets after this harvest for this season? Oh, for sure. There'll be a, between now and Christmas, there'll be a fairly big shortage of time coming in the next year. I don't think there'll be enough potatoes to go around. We also had some really large storms come through the Ballarat region in January this year. Did that affect yeah. your yields as well? I think every every grower here got affected by them storms. Like It's pretty hard to put a percentage on, but everyone would have been hit at a 10 to 20%, I suppose of loss. Are you predicting losses again this year? Oh, I think it's going to line up exactly the same as last year, if not worse. The way it's looking, it's going to be worse. Our bottom line's not going to be as good, I don't think, if it keeps up like this at this stage. Do you think that people will start giving up on farming potatoes if the weather continues to do this every year? Oh, for sure. There's already some of the growers that, that probably are on their last... I know one fellow for sure, it might be his last year, you know, so people have to look at alternatives for sure. Is there anything you can do to sort of protect potatoes once they're in the ground from the weather? No, we're open to the islands. There's no way you can... It's a timing thing, I suppose, but you you can't time it with weather conditions like this at all. So you've been farming here for a few years now. Have you ever seen the paddock get that sort of channel through it before? I've seen paddocks like that before, but not that... Not that paddock there. It usually doesn't wash like that. It's usually that real hilly country that washes like that, but not that one. That's totally one out of the blue, you know. So. Speaking with farmers, how, how's everyone feeling at the moment? Well, I think these conditions will be starting to get on people mentally, you know. Like, it's... Everyone can see it, they're ready to go, but they can't physically get out there and get started. So I think everyone would be... Yeah, it'd be pretty tough going, I reckon, for a lot of people mentally, you know, trying to get their years 
incoming, you know, literally. That's Clarks Hill potato farmer Greg Carlson speaking there with Jane McNaughton. You can just hear the rain in the background and well imagine the spuds being washed out of the ground. It's going to be an interesting one to follow to see what that means then for produce as it starts to work its way through not only supermarkets but into the myriad of other particularly deep fried potato products that we all like to enjoy. Let's continue our coverage of the weather, though, and flooding conditions as well. We'll head to Benjaroop now, where a farmer and flood warden in that area is questioning what's going to happen to all the levees that have been breached with flood water once waters start to subside. According to the Victorian floodplain management strategy, even if these levees are on Crown land, those breaches are a problem for private landholders. Angus Verley spoke with Lindsay Schultz about the extent of the flooding in the Benjaroop district, but also... What's required with recovery, particularly of those levees? Oh, yes, we've got several houses uh, that have got water through them, Angus. Uh, look, it came through, you know, uh, very similar to uh, 2011, but in 2011, the big river, Murray, wasn't in flood. This time, this one's in flood. So you're just in limbo at the moment? Yep, we're boating in and out, and uh, we basically put ourselves in... Um, in a forced uh, long service leave we're on at the moment. We're not retired, but we're just on forced re- uh, long service leave. I mean, we've got all our cattle off the properties. Um, we're just sort of sitting in limbo at the moment. We boated in and out for four and a half months last time, and a lot of people think this water's going to come and go. Well, I can tell you now, I, I think that we'll, here, where we live, we'll be still in water in another 12 months. So we're... The water's not going to go down until the big river drops and I can't see the Murray dropping for a bloody long time. Mm, so apart from the, the, the bit of land around the house and sheds where you are, Lindsay, the, the farm's underwater? Oh, yeah, we've got anything from, you know, metre to two metres of water right across the whole farms. And as you say, Lindsay, it's a, a current situation. The water's not rising, but it's not really falling either. But at the same time, you're looking forward and looking at some of those or those many levee breaches upstream uh, on on the Loddon, on the tributaries of the Loddon, like the Pyramid Creek, what what needs to happen to those levee breaches when people can get into them? Well, this is, this is the next issue, uh, Angus. Um, there's a bit of an issue of who's going to pay and whatever at the moment. So there's massive breaches that have to be fixed. And I have to say, after the 2011 floods, you know, the coalition government at the time, I mean, we had Ted Bailey flew in in his helicopter and we had, you know, five helicopters in the back paddock here and we had a had a district meeting in our house and we got to the bottom of it all and, you know, we put a plan in place to start fixing this. Well, we've got, at the moment, we've got a, a government in caretaker mode. Um, their strategy or their policies are that they will not fix any any breaches, natural breaches, but they will fix... Uh, the uh, control breaches that were cut. So, you know, we, we've, got, we've got some issues, we've got some real issues. Okay, Lindsay, and, and yes, there, there is this Victorian floodplain management strategy that was developed in 2016, and there is a policy in that strategy, policy 17D, that says that levies on Crown land that are not being formally managed will be allowed to weather away unless those benefiting from them decide to repair and maintain those levies. So does that mean that all of those breaches, they're going to go unfixed unless private landholders get together and, and organise and pay to have them fixed? That is absolutely correct, Angus, and that's, 
that's my argument at the moment is that this is a, a situation where everybody benefits if it's fixed properly because a lot of these banks are in the wrong place and there's a good opportunity while it's in everybody's mind that we do things better than we've done in the past. And to say that, it, that they're the responsibility of those benefiting from them, well, is that really workable when, when really a levy many kilometres upstream might be benefiting you? It's not just the adjacent landowners. That's right. I mean, Bill Smith could go and spend, you know, a lot of money doing a very, very good, you know, repair of his breach. And, and Joe Bloggs up the road does, just chucks a bit of mud in there. And you know the chain, you've only got to have the weak link in the chain and we're back where we started from. So it needs government coordination and government funding? Government coordination, government funding and, and, and government quality of breach repair. There's an election coming up. I think it's time to start making a bit of noise here. Last time they come in and did buybacks. You can't go back and do buybacks from here back to bloody Leechville or, you know what I mean? Uh, buybacks isn't an answer. So we have to fix these banks and we have to fix them properly. And there needs to be a few changes in, you know, where banks are allowed and what things can happen. And, you know, there's, although the way that the, the whole thing's been managed, I think, has been excellent, certain things could be improved on. That is Lindsay Schultz there speaking to uh, Angus Verley. Lindsay Schultz, a farmer in Benjaroop Floodwarden, speaking there. The state government's been contacted for comment. It is an issue, the ownership of these levies and who gets authority to do what work on them at what time. We've covered previously during this actual flooding event on the country. You can go back and read that story from the past as well. Just Google country air and levies or ABC rural and, and flood levies. And I'm sure you'll see an article. I think we spoke to, to Peter Walsh and community members as well from Turumbury, uh and other areas along the Murray at the time too. And obviously is something that is going to continue. Uh, would love your thoughts on that. You can actually email us if you'd ever want at a different time. Take your time, countryhour at abc.net.au if you'd like to to send us an email. Let's move away from flooding and the effects of trade now, to the effects of trade now on the Country Hour with a major step in improving relationships between Australia and China happening last night when leaders of the two countries met in Bali. So will that meeting and the thawing of relations help producers of commodities like wine, barley, lobster, export hay and beef, which have all been locked out of China to varying degrees over the last few years. It's actually an issue that was raised as the two nations met. Here's Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese speaking after the meeting. We have had our differences and Australia won't resolve from our interests or our values. I put forward Australia's position when it comes to the blockages uh, in our trading relationship. It was not anticipated that a meeting such as that, uh, you get uh, immediate uh, declarations uh, that I believe if people thought that would happen, uh, then that was not realistic. Uh, but it was very constructive. It is clearly in Australia's interest to export some of the fine products that we have. It's in China's interest to receive those fine products. That's Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. And speaking about the change in rhetoric and what that could mean to the resumption of trade, I thought this was an interesting comment just to hear from the President of China, Xi Jinping. 
In the past few years, China-Australian relations have encountered some difficulties which we do not want to see. You have made a number of remarks on China-Australia relations on a number of occasions and have repeatedly said that you will deal with China-Australian relations in a mature manner. I attach great importance to your opinion. So do those comments and this meeting mean we could be about to see changes in the agricultural relationship and the the export of Australian commodities to China. It's a question I put to the CEO of the National Farmers Federation, Tony Ma, when I spoke to him a short time ago. Oh, look, I think it'll be encouraging, Warwick. I think, uh, you know, China's such a key market for Australian agricultural exports. They take uh, about a quarter of what we produce, about total exports, a uh, quarter of them go to China. So incredibly valuable and important market. And it's really encouraging that two leaders have got together and we hope that it results in a rebuilding and a strengthening of the relationship. Obviously, the, the pictures and the symbolism of the speeches is important, but what do you think a realistic expectation is from a meeting like this about things like exports resuming? Look, I think it was a significant step that the Prime Minister specifically raised trade relations. So, you know, there's lots going on in the relationship and around the world, but for the Prime Minister to raise trade relations, you know, specifically on some of the agricultural products, obviously. Um, But having said that, it will obviously take a while. And as long as it all continues to go in the right direction and, you know, we look at strengthening and rebuilding and and enhancing the relationship, I think most farmers will be encouraged by uh, the meeting. With uh, export bans or, or tariffs in place on things like wine, lobster, barley, hay exports and, and restrictions on some beef exporters as well still in place, uh, are those industries hurting? Are there particular industries desperate to see a resumption in trade? Look, I think most industries, Warwick, would you know, look forward to stability in the market. I mean, the, the disruptions that we've seen over the last couple of years have come from a range of areas. The stability and the certainty is what I think people are looking for. So as long as we're moving you know, in a positive di- direction, uh, the conversations are, are constructive and, and positive, um, you know, that will be the main thing. I think we're, we're so lucky in Australia that, you know, Australian farmers produce some of the best food and fibre around the world. So while it takes some time to re-establish and rebuild new markets, we're well placed um, to diversi- continue to diversify and, and put products into markets that, you know, are paying the right price and for the right conditions and those sorts of things. So, yes, China is absolutely critical, um, but likewise, so is continuing to look at diversifying markets. You're part of uh, Australia. Australia's agriculture's door into government, so to speak, uh, being in Canberra, you can get a lot of the meetings with key ministers. How much are the individual industries of things like lobster fishers and and wine growers looking to you and and wanting meetings and, and discussions about the China situation still? Yeah, look, we've always uh, tried to establish a, a very collaborative approach and, you know, a coordinated approach to government. I think, you know, my experience is that um, government looks to try and get that coordinated, that consistent message from sectors. That being said also, that individual sectors will have their own specific um, issues and tariffs and, and you know, concerns um, at, at times as well. So I think a coordinated, collaborative approach, everyone agrees the, the value and the merits of that. 
but likewise, we respect that you know individual commodities want to have specific um, discussions. So uh, that's what sort of I've heard from government, and I think going forward with the resumption of talks between the leaders, that's what um, will take place. That you know whole of agriculture, Team Australia type of approach, um, and where relevant individual sectors and commodities will obviously have their own discussions too. I guess what I'm trying to establish is how high on the list of importance is things like resuming the China trade in agriculture at the moment? It's very high. And I think, as uh, as I alluded to before, it's really encouraging that in the 30 minutes that you know, the Prime Minister has had with uh, his counterpart in China that trade was raised specifically. Um, there's lots that they could and, and can talk about. Um, so from a government perspective, from an industry perspective, I think the resumption and the strengthening of the agricultural trade between Australia and China looks to be at, you know, the, the top of the list, near the top of the list of, of discussions, which I think is really encouraging. What's more important to Australian farmers, an India free trade agreement or a resumption of the China trade for the commodities that are currently locked out? Yeah, that's a really good question, Warwick. Um, I think uh, it'll depend on uh, the risk of sounding like a lawyer. It, d- it depends. I mean, you, there's there's commodities that uh, like seafood and wine who have been absolutely devastated by some of the restrictions and disruptions in the China market. There'll be other commodities that uh, see India as a you know a huge opportunity, as we know it is. You know, a billion people over there growing um, domestic market, uh, their um, disposable income. So it'll it'll depend a little bit. Um, but I would say the the more certainty, the more stability that we can have in global trade, the better for Australian farmers. What do you hope are the next steps then from here? We've had this meeting. What do you hope happens from here? Well, I think there has been, so, you know, this meeting, um, the meetings that or discussions that uh, Foreign Minister Wong have had, I think what we'd like to see is a continuation. So it, it's not going to be solved. The, you know, the relationship isn't going to be totally repaired after one 32-minute meeting. So what we'd look to see is more discussions, more conversations, more engagement between the two countries. Obviously, industry has been talking to um, counterparts in, in China for a long time, continues to. So that'll continue to build with, you know, the encouraging signs from the two leaders. So I do see that it's um, a bit of a pathway, a bit of a journey. It's not going to be solved overnight, um, but it's certainly an encouraging step. Yeah, and we'll have to to watch this space from here. Tony Ma, the, the CEO of the National Farmers Federation, thank you very much for joining us on the program today. Terrific. Thanks for having me, Warwick. Tony Ma speaking to me earlier today with his response from the, the Peak Farming Group about these meetings in Bali between Anthony Albanese and China President Xi Jinping uh, and what it means for agriculture and resumption and a cheeky text on the text line saying, do you think Albo, obviously Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, will walk through a foot bath when he gets back from Bali? Well, as you know, anonymous texter, no foot baths, but there are the mats that they have for people returning from Indonesia to Australia at the moment. They're still in place at airports, but I can send in a cheeky request on your behalf to see if we can get a photo of that happening when they return from Bali. Uh, Let's head to the newsroom, find out what's making regional news headlines across our state in Victoria. Catherine Smirk has those details for us today. Good afternoon, Catherine. Good afternoon. 
Five additional local government areas can now access the disaster recovery allowance and disaster recovery funding arrangements. Mildura, East Gippsland, Hindmarsh, Southern Grampians and Tawong are now among 55 eligible LGAs. Meanwhile, local councils can apply for clean-up assistance and concessional loans of up to $250,000 under the state government's disaster recovery funding arrangements. Potato farmers in Western Victoria say soaking rainfall is hampering efforts to plant spuds, with a shortage of the vegetable likely over Christmas. Farmer Greg Carlson says he managed to get some in the ground of his Clarks Hill property north of Ballarat during breaks of sun over the weekend. But by Monday, a portion had washed away and he says nothing could be done. A regional university conducting a study into drink spiking says public perception that drink spiking is most likely to happen at nightclubs needs to change. Latrobe University's Rural Health School in Bendigo is five months into its two-year study. Project manager Dr Jessica Ison says drink spiking is most common at homes, with the perpetrator often known to the victim survivor. A technology designed to quickly restore access to the NBN in times of disasters is being trialled this week in Traralgon. A special semi-trailer known as a point of interconnect on wheels has been set up at the local exchange and is providing connection to about 24,000 customers. NBN spokesperson Darren Mills says they want to make sure they've got a tried and tested response mechanism available. And V-Line services for the entire journey between Swan Hill and Southern Cross have resumed. Previously, buses were on a diverted route, which added about 40 minutes to the journey and missed a number of towns. Local Bendigo trains have also resumed, stopping at Eaglehawk in line with the normal timetable. And that's the latest in news from across regional Victoria. Thanks very much for that. Catherine Smirk there with regional news headlines. On ABC Radio Victoria, you're with Warwick Long for the Victorian Country Hour. Stephen from Kerwood says, Hi Warwick, funny you talked about the levees. There are many busy beavers on both sides of the river repairing or topping up levees everywhere in your part of the world, Stephen. Of course they are. And this is the thing about levees. No one wants to own them during uh, drier times, shall we say. But in the immediacy of floods approaching... That's when you see people asking for quick uh, approvals to repair levees or top them up or discovering that a tree's grown and split one apart. And uh, there has to be a better system, doesn't there, in terms of management and uh, updating levy infrastructure as things happen. Or maybe that is too naive on my part. You can let me know. Uh, George is asking, what's the go with the ABC broadcasting election ads uh, for the Labor Party just before the country hour? Uh, George, before the country hour, basically, I think it's on on set days, but the minute before the country hour is given by the ABC to political parties. Uh, It's handed over evenly and fairly. You would have heard ones for the Liberal Party and the National Party. Also, the Animal Justice Party, the Greens and the National Parties have all had time before the country hour, uh, in that minute window, I suppose, before the news. And that will continue right up until the election blackout. So uh, that's exactly what you're going to continue to hear. And, uh, yeah, we'll continue to uh, keep talking about it. And I think someone said a text here, just having a look, saying, I think the 12 o'clock newsreader gave out the wrong lifeline number. Very apologetic if that is the case. The lifeline number is 13 11 14. And as I often tell you, a great number to save in your phone and just keep for whenever you think you might need it. Lifeline will tell you, we've done programs with them in the past saying, 
they are there for you. Don't ever feel like you're not the person that needs to be calling Lifeline. Have the number there for whenever you need. 13 11 14 is that number. Let's go to the Weather Bureau right now, find out what's happening weather-wise around our state. Alana Cherney is a senior forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology. G'day, Alana. How's it going? I'm good. Uh, how's the weather going? More importantly, because the rainfall doesn't stop and we've got the weekend to speak about, but what's it look like today? Yeah, it certainly seems that it's not stopping at the moment, although we are looking like an easy trend, at least for the next few days in the lead up to the weekend. So today is another cold day, really, with uh, cold southwesterly flow. We even saw some November records overnight, um, including at Mount Hotham, which was the coldest uh, Victorian temperature on record for November. It got down to negative seven, so... Um, Pretty cold about the place and a few showers mainly about the south uh, with the chance of a little bit of small hail in the far south and the chance of the odd thunderstorm this afternoon in the far east, in parts of East Gippsland um, and the far northeast. The next couple of days, an easing trend in terms of those showers. So tomorrow, just a few showers about the south, just a couple of millimetres or so and a gradual warming trend into Friday where we'll see a return of some warmer northerly flow and a a mostly clear day ahead of that rainfall coming through on Saturday and Sunday. So on Saturday, uh, we'll start the day quite warm with freshening northerly flow ahead of this uh, front starting to come through, uh, which will bring showers and thunderstorms extending from the west from Saturday morning increasing through to central parts uh, during the day and out into the east uh, through Saturday night and into Sunday. We are expecting thunderstorms, including the possibility of severe thunderstorms as well. In terms of rainfall figures with that front coming through, so on Saturday we're likely to see the highest totals in western districts uh, and we're looking at widespread falls of about 10 to 20 millimetres. Given it does look unstable with plenty of thunderstorms about, it's a bit trickier to uh, pick where we'll see some of those localised higher falls, but we are looking at the potential for some isolated totals of about 20 to 40 millimetres in the west on Saturday. And then into Sunday where uh, that system will pass through the east, uh, we're likely to see the highest falls about the east, uh, generally kind of um, Streslecki ranges through to the northeast ranges are likely to see the highest falls, uh, about 20 to 30 millimetres, but again could see some isolated turtles of 30 to 40 uh, with thunderstorms on Sunday. Um, so that's, uh, I guess, uh, the most significant where it's Uh, weather that we're expecting will be through Saturday and Sunday. And then after that, we're expecting another one of these cold outbreaks uh, with snow level returning down to about 800 metres and the potential for some localised small hail in southern parts uh, with a few continuing showers uh, for Monday and into Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, generally on and south of the divide um, once we get early into into next week. So a little bit ahead, um, that's for sure. Excuse me. Uh, in terms of um, uh, flooding impacts, uh, we are, uh, of course, still seeing um, ongoing impacts, uh, which is generally currently um, at an easing trend uh, for most Victorian rivers. With the, the rainfall forecast for the weekend, we are likely to see some more minor to moderate flooding. Um, uh, uh, among um, areas that have been recently affected and 
uh, given that it's still a few days away, we're likely to issue a flood watch um, for Thursday, oh, sorry, on Thursday or Friday. Um, and of course, we still do have ongoing. Um, so that flood watch for the weekend rain, watch. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a flood watch for the weekend likely to be issued on Thursday or Friday, but we still do have um, warnings current um, for, for the ongoing impacts as well. And just in terms of that weekend, I suppose what has been so confronting watching the, the flooding in particular in, in New South Wales, but what we've experienced here too is that, that quick burst of fast rain, obviously, in, in catchments and then it all coming together. Is there, there any risk of, of thunderstorms or, or heavy falls of rain over the weekend or is it going to be more steady than that? Yeah, so it definitely looks uh, like we have the potential for thunderstorms really over much of the state particularly on Saturday. Um, I'm sure that will uh, begin to be a little bit more refined as we um, come a little closer. But given uh, that it does look uh, like the type of system that will bring thunderstorms and and unstable conditions, uh, we are likely to see um, some um, quick, um, more intense bursts of rainfall. And given that everything is so saturated already, uh, that is the type of thing that can lead to um, some flash flooding. So so definitely um, that will be uh, something to watch coming towards the weekend. And, and I, I think we spoke about this yesterday, but, but the outlook for snowfall, is that still there? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So following that front, but we'll, starting just um, uh, today, so the, the cold outbreak that we're experiencing at the moment, uh, the, the snow level I think was set to be at its lowest earlier this morning, um, down at about uh, 800 metres and I think now gradually rising over the next couple of days. But then fo- following um, the warming over Friday and Saturday and the next front that comes through, we are looking at another cold outbreak. And so uh, from Sunday night and then into Monday, uh, the snow level is likely to drop back down to about 800 metres. So uh, some more snow early next week. Well, Alana Cherney, thanks very much for the update. We appreciate it. No worries. Thanks a lot. Senior forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, Alana Cherney, taking you through the full forecast forecast there. There's plenty going on there, and there's a lot going on on our roads. In fact, I've got an update for you too. Uh, The Murray Valley Highway north of Piangle will be closed in both directions this afternoon due to emergency works. The closure between the Coonimar Road and Stewart Road, hope I'm saying that right, is expected to be in place from 1.30 this Arvo until 3.30 this afternoon. Sandbagging will take place to maintain the structural integrity of the road, which has been damaged by floodwaters, where major works are required to repair several sinkholes that have been opened up on the southbound lane, which resulted in traffic management at the site over uh, the coming days as well. So more work's happening there. Murray Valley Highway north of Piangle, they're going to be closed for emergency works, obviously, with that large amount of water around. That's a pretty key road. So let us know how things are going there too. Uh, did get a text from Penny too, talking about the morning traffic jams on the causeway, obviously between Shepparton and Marupna, which have been happening this week. It's like they haven't accounted for McCoy's Bridge extra traffic as well, which uh, has had closure. They need to stop the roadworks till the flooding goes, says Penny. There is a limited amount of river crossings and even across the Goulburn and that is still causing major issues isn't it thank you very much for your text as well there uh Penny oh I missed that text asking about the Ballarat rain hitting on Saturday I will ask that for you tomorrow if not hold me to account keep those texts coming in we don't mind a personalized weather report 
on the country hour, do we? So let's keep that going. We won't talk about weather, though. We'll talk about water right now. Water brokers are at odds over the actions of one of their own in response to the return of federal government water buybacks in the Murray-Darling Basin. After Senate estimates last week in which it was revealed the government intends to buy back at least another 49 gigalitres of water in the Murray-Darling to meet its targets, water broker firm Waterfind sent customers both an email and a text saying, and I'll quote it to you, Commonwealth buyback now open. Expression of interest here with a link for pricing, processes and updates from Waterfind. Uh, the only issue was there was no buyback open and the company had to actually issue a correction and did so on Monday saying, correction, no Commonwealth buyback programs currently open. Waterfind's EOI for strategic water purchases remains open. See the clarification online. With a link there, no apology though. Fellow water broker and member of the body uh, called the Australian Water Brokers Association, Anthony McCloskey, who was a former employee of Waterfine, wasn't happy when he saw the texts and says this shows the need for reform. I think it's probably a good or a timely reminder of, of why we have undergone the ACCC review into, into water markets and uh, because, uh, you know, being a water broker has been... Uh, unregulated in the past and anyone could throw up a shingle and say now I am a water broker it's behavior that's not acceptable in in a lot of uh, a lot of industries or any industry really and it's something that uh, these reforms will go some way to addressing uh, but the AWBS also believes and I personally believe that uh, the uh, reforms could go further uh, in in terms of that so if there was licensing or if the reforms suggested by the ACCC had been adopted by government already, do you think these actions would be allowed under those rules? Uh, you certainly wouldn't believe so that under the mandatory code of conduct that they would um, put in that um, that behaviour would not be acceptable. That's correct. Do you think it's all right for, for water brokers to be telling clients that a buyback is now open when it's, when it's not? Well, then, no. I mean, it's a very black and white thing. They have announced they're going to do buybacks, but the buyback is not open, and, and that's a very, very clear difference. And then a correction was issued by Waterfine, but not an apology. Should they apologise? Uh, look, it obviously, doing things like that has an effect on the market. It has effect on clients and especially uh, participants' confidence in the market, and, and that was one of the really big things coming out of the ACCC inquiry was participants' confidence in water market participants. And uh, that certainly, behaviour like that certainly undermines that confidence. So is this a bad look for your whole industry? Uh, look, I think um, what other water brokers have done, and I'm certainly not the only one who's received calls from clients, uh, and uh, the AWBA has been in contact with the Minister's office about this sort of thing. And it's something that we are very clear on that um, and, and, you know, most people have made it clear to their clients that, uh, no, this is um, not the right thing and, and people, when uh, we are then able to clarify the situation for them, understand that it is those, you know, isolated things like that rather than an industry-wide approach. The Federal Water Minister, Tanya Plivosek, has made some announcements on on moving forward with some of the, the regulations around water brokers. It, it's unclear whether that will be in place before 
any government of buyback of water takes place. Should should those regulations be in place before the next buyback? Well, look, it would be nice if they were. And, you know, I think, again, we come back to talking about confidence for people in the water market, then it would certainly add confidence to the process that we're going through or that we would go through. So, yes, it would be nice whether or not it will happen. I guess uh, we will find out in the fullness of time. The AWBA has its AGM next on, on Monday coming, actually, uh, and hopefully uh, we'll uh, get some information from DCCEEW at that stage about uh, where the reforms are up to. Do you think the actions of, of water brokers and the reforms are going to be a hot topic at the, the next meeting for water brokers, for the association? Very very much so. And look, and I think you would have seen before that the AWBA response is that we don't think those reforms go far enough. We don't think that just regulation is part of it. We, we think there should be licensing of participants, uh, and that would give even more confidence. So effectively, if you do the wrong thing, you can lose your licence to trade. Yeah, or you pay a fine or you get suspended from trading and, you know, and, and Water New South Wales or, or Goulburn Murray Water wouldn't deal with you. That is Anthony McCloskey, a water broker from Key Water in New South Wales, member of the Australian Water Brokers Association and a former employee of Waterfine, not happy with their dealings with farmers and clients over the previous days. We'll try and get Waterfine to explain their situation to you on the program in the coming days. Uh, you can send a text 0467 822 Let's go back to the flood response now and hear this beautiful music. A huge amount of sandbaggings taken place in Nangelok, south of Mildura in recent days, and local residents and government agencies have played a role. Some people with homes 5,000 kilometres away are also making a valuable contribution, though. A team of 70, mostly from Samoa, have been in the district under the seasonal worker program, and on Friday, Saturday and Sunday, they were busy helping the proje- uh, protect the recreation reserve and other essential assets. One of those was Junior Tanavasa from the Labor Hire Company Plant Grow Pick, and he told Kelly Hollingworth it's the workers' culture to help out during times of need. Always we want to come to help the community. Now it's not the hard work, it's just going there to helping and exercise. At the end of all of the days where you've done sandbagging, you've sung a prayer. Can you explain why you do it? Because it's something that the community has seen and been quite impressed by. Yeah, because that is how in the island, especially always we give thanks to God because God did give us the strength that while we do the job and we help people. Charlie Shaw, Table Group Manager at Costa Group. The PGP and Costa team have done such a good job at the Nandalock Rec Reserve with the sandbagging that I gather there might be more work for them in the coming days. Uh, yeah, there, there has been a request for them to come in and help out over the next couple of days to do some more sandbagging um, down at the Nangelog Egg Supplies to, to cover off that area. There's somewhere between five and 7,000 sandbags to put out there, so yeah, any extra help there they can get, they'd be grateful for. It must be tricky getting onto the fruit blocks when it's been raining, but 
While the sun's shining, is it tricky to strike a balance between needing to get farm work done and wanting to get out and help the community? Oh, yeah, it definitely is. You know, obviously we're here to run a business, but if we can get that balance between that and then, you know, the staff go out and help for a couple of hours um, with the community as well, then that's that's probably a big part to it. Um, you know, we are we are running a business, but without the community here to support us with the staff and that that live around the area then you know it does make it hard for you to run your business so to be able to help protect the community in that regard is um also you know a key part to it so you got just finding that balance yeah when the pgp and costa teams aren't working does the rec reserve have a bit of a special place for them as somewhere they go and socialize the boys from pgp uh generally go down there and and like to play a bit of soccer and um that's their sort of place of, of sport and and uh, stretch their legs a bit in that regard so um, yeah certainly their part for for what they like about it so in, in doing what they're doing they're actually repaying the local community for being able to use their facilities as well. Can you explain what has been protected out there for people that perhaps haven't had the chance to come and have a look for themselves? Yeah so the the first and foremost was to cover off on the um, Optus and MBN tower um, for communications from there they've actually sandbagged right around the actual rec reserve which which will actually hopefully protect the Nangelock shop area um, and a couple of houses along there um, with that as well you know locals have been able to come down and get sandbags for their own houses um, you know we, we did take some sandbags to a, a couple that didn't have a trailer on that as well so it's a little bit that you see, but there's a lot of people that are able to come in and grab their sandbags, and these guys have loaded up their trailers as well for them, so that you know they're basically pulling in, loaded up, and off they go. So if everything goes to plan, the PGP boys might actually be able to play soccer there into summer. Correct. Yeah, fingers crossed that uh, the, the river doesn't quite get as high, and um, the, the sandbagging work that we've done will actually give us that opportunity for, for them to be able to utilise the. the facilities through the summertime. What's it like trying to communicate the flood message to your workers given that some of them would have non-English speaking backgrounds? It's not too bad. Generally you've got a junior or, or Barry there that we can communicate to so if there's any that we are a bit unsure of how they understand it those boys will then translate it into Samoan for them to understand and I think once they see one helping, it just shame reaction with these boys. They're just happy to be there and help. And, you know, you see the work they do, but it's the way they go about it. Um, the cheer and, and the excitement and the camaraderie that they have when they do it is is absolutely amazing. I'm Michael Fakara, Regional Manager for Sunraysia and Costa Group. How are your properties down this way going to cope if that river does rise? Um, have you got your own challenges that you're going to have to face, whether that be potential flooding on those farms or even just getting deliveries in and out of farms? Yeah, we've, we've gone through all of our risk assessments. So at this stage, um, there seems to be no risk or very low risk for us. So all, all conditions are in place. So I think we're, we're comfortable where we are at the moment, which is good stead for costers. And I guess it's just making sure that any of the guys in low areas or anyone that's less fortunate than us, we can we can ship back in for them as well. That's Michael Ficarra from the Costa Group ending that report from Kelly Hollingworth. Technically, 
To market, to market. We've got a lot to get through today. Let's go to Lean Gather first and Brendan Fletcher. G'day, Warwick. There are 300 fewer at 1,080 with a smaller field of buyers operating in a cheaper market. Quality declined with fewer prime cattle and a larger proportion of cows. Trade cattle eased 25 cents. Bullocks gave back 20. Manufacturing steers slipped from 20 to 40 cents. Cows fell from 35 to 75 cents with processors loading cows for an estimated 5.24 to 6.45 cents a kilogram. Carcass weight. Heavy bulls eased 20. Ground steers and bullocks sold from 460 to 478. Heavy Friesian steers 340 to $4. Lacrosse breads 380 to 455. Most light and medium weight cows 168 to 330. Heavyweights 260 to 360. Heavy bulls 330 to 410. This is Brendan Fletcher reporting for MLA. Thanks, Brendan. We'll stay with cattle and go to Warrnambool and Shiona Lamb. Good afternoon. Numbers are growing weekly with 702 cattle penned. Young cattle sold mostly firm. Heavy growing cattle, beef cows and bulls sold 15 to 30 cheaper. And more in places, dairy cows were 20 to 30 cents cheaper. Villas sold 500 to 572 to restockers and 450 to 495 to the trade. Yearling sold to the trade 446 to 500 cents with feeders paying 430 to 520 cents. Manufacturing crossbred steers made three sixteen to four ten cents, and the dairy steers sold three hundred to three eighty cents to be ten to twenty cents cheaper. Heavy grain steers sold to the trade four hundred to four fifty five for the better quality, and the lighter planer types three eighty to four ten cents. Heavy beef cows made three twenty to four hundred cents. Medium weight sold two fifty to two eighty five. Heavy dairy cows sold two thirty to three forty cents, and the lighter weights one twenty to two eighty cents a kilo. Beef bulls sold three forty to three ninety cents, and the dairy cat bulls sold to three forty six. This is Shiona Lamb at Warrnambool for MLA. To the sheep and lambs, Chris Agnews at Hamilton. Thanks, Warwick. Numbers almost halved at Hamilton this week to eleven thousand one hundred and eighty nine. The quality was very good. The market was stronger for most lambs, being six to eight dollars dearer. For most lambs, however, the lightweight lambs back to the paddock were softer by $10. Top suckers made up to $238 per head. New season's light lambs, 12 to 16, 76 to $82. Light trades, 18 to 22, 138 to $180. And the medium trades, 22 to 26, 172 to $230. They averaged around that 750 to 800 cents. There was an excellent offering of sheep of all weights and grades. The market was stronger by 15 to $20, more so for the heavy sheep. Heavy crossbred used to 162. General run of mutton to sell between 400 and 460 cents. At Hamilton, this is Chris Agner reporting for MLA. Thanks, Chris. Lucky last is the Horsham Sheep and Lambs with Graham Palmer. Good afternoon, everyone. Big drop in lamb numbers following heavy weekend rain. Saw just 5,250 yarded. It's back 13,000 on last week. Even heavy trade weight sold from 165 to 202. Heavy weight sold from 255. Old lamb sold to 222. Restocker lamb sold from 95 to 144. And the lighter draft sold from 38 to 101. Sheep numbers were back at 1,800. Merino ewes reached 170. Crossbreed ewes sold to 158. Light trade weight lamb sold from 145 to 170. It averaged 770. Medium trade weight sold from 165 to 182, averaging 740 to 750. The export weight sold from 200 to 228 at 750 to 760. Extra heavyweight lamb sold from 255 to 267. Heavy hoggets made to 185. Heavy rams sold to 56. When Graham Palmer at Horsham from LA. 
That's it for the country out today. We'll leave you with those Samoan sandbaggers helping out in the northwest of Victoria. Have a great afternoon. We'll be back with you tomorrow. <laughs>